motivation for what we're doing? Like, why do we do good? Because a lot of people have a concept of religion and morality that the way it basically works is that we are good people, we follow law, we do good things, and then God will be pleased with us. Kind of works in that direction. God will like us, God will accept us. But the Christian paradigm actually flips that on its head, and I've tried to make that point every week, that in fact God saved us while we were still sinners, is what the Bible says, before we had done anything to deserve it, before we were good at all at following this law, and that in return, in response, we do good things as a way to say thank you. It's been kind of the primary theme of these messages. This is a way to say thank you to God. And and I've been thinking about that because, of course, saying thank you is a pretty commonplace part of our lives and our experience. Um, Has anybody here ever gotten into trouble for not saying thank you when somebody did something good for you? Probably a few hands going up, right? That's pretty common. Um, uh, But I was thinking, you know, there have been times when I have, when I've like just forgotten to say thank you. Um, or I didn't even like really notice that somebody did something good for me, and I didn't say anything. And something that I notice is sometimes I get in trouble, but most of the time, nothing happens. I mean, it's really not that big of a deal. I mean, maybe that person will think you're a little bit rude, um, but they'll move on, and it probably won't take them very long. Um, it's not like the sky is falling. It's not like it's the end of the world. And, and so I've been thinking about that for Christian morality, and And if we think about it in terms of saying thank you to God, maybe we think about it in that same lens. Like, well, you know, like, I guess if we do it, like, if we think of it, I guess that's fine. Uh, But if it doesn't happen, like, if we're not saying thank you, like, big deal. The sky's not falling. It's not the end of the world if we don't do good things. I mean, it's just a thank you anyway, right? And so in answer to kind of that dilemma, I want to look at famous passage of Scripture, James chapter 2, verse 14. Um... So James is writing this letter to one of the early Christian churches. This is what he says. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if a person claims to have faith but has no deeds, like doesn't do anything? Can such faith save him? He asks and just leaves hanging for all of us. Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed. In other words, if you say to him, Hey, hope everything works out. But does nothing about his physical needs. What good is it? He asks and just lets hang in the air. What good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, well, you know, you've got faith, I've got deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there's one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. And then James gives two examples, one from a guy named Abraham, we talk about him a lot in church, and one about a woman named Rahab, two people whose faith and their actions were aligned, they were working together. And then he gets to this conclusion, verse 26, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. This is the word of the Lord. 
So I'm a part of a generation that has a lot of strong feelings about social justice. Um, uh, you know, you can like a cause on Facebook. My generation likes a lot of causes on Facebook. Um, we're known for having like a global perspective on things. Like a lot of us have actually traveled abroad. Like we've done like a mission trip in the Dominican Republic or we've studied like a semester or something in, in Honduras or in Ghana. Um, we care about justice and poverty, things like that. Uh, we, we think it's important to be like global citizens. We're a generation that's known for caring about issues. Um, we're known for like just being aware of a lot of causes in the world. I was reminded this week of a study um, conducted at the University of British Columbia. Shout out to Vancouver. Um, uh, University of British Columbia a few years ago. Uh, you might have heard about this. Uh, so what they did is they, uh, they told people about a charitable cause. I think, you know, like AIDS in Africa or something, like relief for AIDS in Africa. And they allow people, like, do you want to support this cause? And some people are like, no, i got to go to class, you know, whatever. But uh, if you did want to support the cause, there were, there were kind of two ways you could do it. You could do it publicly. So the two public ways you could do it, you could wear like an AIDS ribbon. You know, you've seen those, like the red ribbons. Um, or you could go onto your social media and you could like the cause on Facebook or something like that. So you could respond publicly or you could respond privately. And so what they had is they had like a petition that you could sign and that would be like sent basically to your local congressman kind of thing, um, asking for more resources for this cause. And then uh, a few days later, after everybody had kind of made their choice, um, people walking around campus with AIDS ribbons, um, they, they contacted those people again and they asked them if they would be willing to donate money or to volunteer their time to support this cause. Um, and this is what they found. The, the people who did something public, so the people who wore the pin or the people who liked the cause on Facebook, uh, were substantially less likely to volunteer their time or to give their money. Um, and the, the working theory is that uh, people who did something public, uh, who declared their support on Facebook or who wore this pin, um, those people felt like uh, they had already done their part. Right? So they had raised awareness, and so it was not necessary for them to also volunteer their time or to give their money. So next time you're about to like a cause on Facebook, consider the possibility that that will actually make you less likely to do anything to help that organization. Okay. A few years ago, um, Bono from U2, shout out to Emily College, big U2 fan, um, helped to start the Red Campaign. You remember this? like a bunch of companies, like they sold like red products, right? So they, like literally red. So like there was like Dell did it with their computers and uh, like Gap did it with t-shirts. Uh, they did it with iPods. If, if you don't know what an iPod is, you can ask your parents. Um, but the, the way that it worked is they, uh, they shared, like the idea was you could, you could buy one of these red products uh, and a portion of the profits would go to like a charity that helped with, I think it was AIDS, and, and development in Rwanda is what I remember. 
Um, there was an ad. There was a Super Bowl ad. I don't know if you remember this. This guy walks out of his apartment, and he's got, a, he's got one of these red Dell laptops under his arm. And as he's walking through the streets of this town, like these mobs start forming, like these big crowds of people chanting his name and cheering for him. And, and as he's walking through town, like a, a woman jumps out of the crowd and just kisses him on the mouth. Like everybody is just so excited about what a good guy he is. And at the end of the ad, he finally gets to his destination. Is it an AIDS clinic? No. Um, is it a hospital? No. Um, he gets to a coffee shop. And he opens up his laptop and presumably checks his Facebook account or something. Um, and then it flashes on the screen. It says, uh, buy Dell, join Red, save lives. Real lifesaver, this guy. Um, checking his Facebook on a red laptop. Real, real lifesaver. Um, this red campaign, it came under a lot of criticism. Uh, they've cleaned up their act some since then, but after the first few years, uh, some people were poking around and looking at the numbers, and, and what they found is that the different companies associated with this had spent about $100 million on advertising uh, these, like their connection to this campaign. Uh, $100 million, and you want to guess how much they ended up donating? Like $18 million. So $100 million in advertising, advertising which had the side benefit of making their companies look really good, $100 million in advertising, uh, and less than 20 to actually help. And I was thinking that those proportions feel just about right to me, uh, not just for uh, corporate charity, but for me also. Maybe they'll seem about right to you. Uh, when it comes to doing good, I think we're just about five parts self-promotion and one part, you know, actually doing something. Uh, we probably spend about five times as much energy uh, talking about what we're going to do, telling people about what we've done, um, and advertising our good intention as we spend actually doing something. Five parts self-promotion, one part action. There was an ad a few years ago for uh, UNICEF in Sweden. UNICEF is like the UN agency. They work on uh, like relief and development, especially for children and women. Uh, and, and the ad shows it's, like it's, it's obviously meant to be like a, a poor young boy. Uh, he's standing there. He's looking at the camera. And the background is uh, his little brother who's like coughing on like a makeshift bed, and the kid looks into the camera and he says, sometimes I worry that I will get sick, like my mother got sick, and then I wonder, who will take care of my little brother? But I think everything will be okay, he says, because today, UNICEF Sweden has 177,000 likes on Facebook, and they might get to 200,000 by the summertime, and then I think we should be all right. Five parts self-promotion, one part action. 
Uh, you know, I, ma- I made that statistic up, but the five to one thing. It sounds about right to me. And of course, it's nothing new, right? So humans have always been a lot better at talking the talk than walking the walk. And this is so true that one of the earliest letters written to any of the Christian churches, way back when, this letter that James wrote, has to bring this up to a Christian church. They have to bring up. They're like, hey, by the way, guys, remember that our Christian faith is not just about what we believe and what we say. It is also about what we do. And he had that killer line, which we still talk about all the time, right? Faith without deeds is dead. But he takes some pains here. He's not contrasting faith and deeds. They're not against each other. He says it's not appropriate for one person to be like, well, you know, I'm more of a faith person. I'm more of a devotional person. Like, you know those people who, who read the Bible in a year? Like, I read the Bible like two, two and a half months. You know, like that's me. I'm that kind of person. And then, and then the person over here who's like, I'm more of like a social justice kind of person. Like, I don't... I don't really read the Bible much. I'm not sure what's in there. My favorite verse is like, um, how does it go? Um, uh, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. This is my favorite verse. That's in the Bible, isn't it? It might be, might, maybe not. It should be if it's not. It's a good verse. And, and we act like these are on like two different poles, right? Like they're opposites from each other. Like you've got to pick one. And James is like, that's ridiculous. You don't pick one. He's not contrasting faith on the one hand and action on the other hand. He's contrasting a faith that is alive and a faith that's dead. He's saying, if you've been saved by Jesus, if you've had your sins forgiven, if you've experienced His grace, but you don't do anything to help another person, maybe we need to rewind and like go through that faith thing one more time. I think you missed something the first time through. If you've got all the right answers about God, but never really serve another person, if your faith is stuck in your head, and it never creeps out into your heart, into your hands, I think it's probably time to check the pulse on that faith. I don't know if it's still ticking. The faith is not just about what you believe and what you say. So we've been talking about the Ten Commandments, right? Exodus chapter 20. Does anybody remember what happens in Exodus chapter 19? The one right before that? God makes us something with His people. A covenant. It's a different kind of covenant than the ones we often talk about here. It's kind of a two-way street. And the basic idea is, listen, people, if you follow these laws I'm about to give you, verse 5, he says, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And the holy nation thing, that makes sense, right? Because if they're following these laws, you know, they're going to be holy. That makes some sense. But priests, what's that about? Boy, it wouldn't have been helpful if we had spent like two months earlier this year talking about what priests do. 
I'll wait. Um, priests, did they have did they have regular jobs? Like, did they have like a plot of land that they like grew crops on to provide for their family? No. They they had to live by faith, right, every day, trusting that God would provide through other people. They lived by faith. And what did they do all day? They helped people kill animals, right? Um, And what was the most common reason somebody would kill an animal with a priest? Like a sin, right? The idea was like, you know, your sin is costly. uh, And so you sort of represent the costliness of your sin by killing this animal. It's a way to to try to become more holy yourself, try to set your life back on the right track. You know, priests sometimes have a reputation for being holier than thou. You've ever heard that expression? Holier than thou? Um, like, uh, like they didn't get their hands dirty. Uh, like they, they let common people kind of deal with like the mess of sin and then they, they like sat around like reading books and drinking wine. But is that an accurate way to describe the priests in Israel? Did they say to people, hey man, you're on your own dealing with your sin? Did they get their hands dirty? Maybe kind of a lot. Maybe kind of filthy, right? Disgusting, like covered, gross. So here are these guys. They live every day by faith. And they played this essential role in the community, right? Um, Inviting people, helping people to pursue holiness, helping people uh, follow God, but not from a distance, right? They didn't like shout across the the courtyard, like, hey man, you take care of your own stuff, right? But instead, they got right in there, didn't they? They literally spent all day covered in the blood and guts of animals. They spent all day getting their hands filthy, helping people deal with their sin. And I was thinking that's a good image for us. So Exodus 19 says that we're a kingdom of priests. And then 1 Peter says that we're like a priesthood, all of us, together. And so if, as Christians, if we are priests, then I think we got a similar role. So we help people around us kind of know and follow God. We help people with that. But never from a distance. Never saying, well, you know, your sin disqualifies you. You know, you got to stay over there. But instead saying, let me help you with your sin. Let's get our hands dirty together, taking care of this. So as Christians, if we are priests, we shouldn't be standing at a distance scolding people, but we should be coming right up close. How can I help? How can I walk alongside you? In other words, how can I put my faith into action? How can the beliefs in my head move out toward my heart? and my hands? How can what I believe change what I do and who and what I love? That's the question. This is my dream for our church. I don't think it's just mine. I think it's God's dream too. That our faith would be constantly translated into action. Uh, that, That our church would be a church of these kinds of priests. It's hard, I know. 
it's easy to get discouraged. Sometimes you you have good intentions, you end up doing more harm than good. But remember, they're not individual priests, right? It's a what of priests in Exodus? It's a kingdom of priests. And it's not just a priest, it's a priesthood in 1 Peter, right? So we are in this together. Pastor in Seattle reminded me in this line of uh, this story in the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 5. It's a story about Jesus. And I think it's a story about a priesthood of believers. Oh, somebody want to grab the door? Thanks, Rebecca. Um, a priesthood of believers. And uh, the story goes like this. Um, there's these friends, and, uh, and they've got another friend who is paralyzed. Uh, he can't walk. And, and they've heard these stories. It's real early in Jesus' ministry, but they've heard these stories about uh, this guy, Jesus, who can heal people, who can like, make sick people well again. Uh, and so these friends literally pick up their, their paralyzed friend and they carry him to where Jesus is. And then they get to the house where Jesus is, and it's, it's packed. Like, there's people everywhere. There's, there's nowhere to go. Um, there's no way that they're going to see Jesus. There's just way too many people. And as Seattle pastor points out, I think this is probably right, he says, you know, if this were us, we would probably at this point in the story, we've, so we've gotten to the house, we've, we've done our best, and what we do is we take a selfie with our friend, the paralyzed friend, um, with like a, a frowny face emoji, and like hashtag like better luck next time, um, and we go home. And then in the meantime, right, all of our friends on Instagram would be like, man, you are such a good person. Like, way to go. Like, that was a really good effort. Like, thanks for doing that, right? Mercifully, no smartphones in Luke chapter 5. So instead of Instagramming their, their attempt to be helpful, what do they do? They climbed onto the roof of this house. I don't know how that worked, but they climbed onto the roof of the house. <laughs> and then obviously, they dug a hole into the roof of the house, and they lowered their friend down into the room. I don't know who was in charge of this plan. Um, he gets points for persistence. Right? They had so many opportunities to give up, to call it good, to say that they tried, and nobody would have blamed them. People would have patted them on the back. Good effort. But instead, they were relentless. They were relentless in doing good. Because they knew where the power was. And so instead of giving up, every time they faced an obstacle, oh, this roof doesn't already have a hole in it. I guess somebody should pass a shovel, right? Instead of giving up, they just every time took one more step. One more step to do good. And the story ends so beautifully, right? So the story ends, he gets down there, Jesus heals him, tells him to stand up, and the man goes away praising God. And then the whole crowd, everybody who was there, They started praising God too. And they all remarked to each other, they said, we have seen remarkable things today. And they had. They knew where the power was. They lived by faith. They did it together. And they saw remarkable things. Tonight at 6, we are not going to dig a hole in the roof of the church. 
But we're going to try to take one step, one more step, toward that persistent putting our faith into action. This is not a complicated idea. This is the basic idea for this faith in action thing. We get together once a month. That's the plan right now, once a month. Sing a couple songs. And then somebody's going to share some way that they have put their faith into action. We're going to define that pretty broadly. So uh, maybe you brought a plate of cookies to your neighbor. Maybe you sent some cards to people in your life who you knew were discouraged. Um, Maybe you shared your faith with your brother or your sister. Somebody shares a story about how they put their faith into action. Fifteen minutes. Then we huddle up. I don't know, pairs of two, something like that. I haven't thought that far in, in advance. Probably two people. You pair up and you brainstorm with each other. How can I put my faith into action in the next day, in the next week, and in the next month? There's nothing elaborate here, okay? The idea is, you know, sometimes people are kind of waiting around for some big program to put their faith into action. We're not, I mean, maybe some people come up with a program. That's not what we're looking for. We're calling these mini experiments in mission, okay? Think small, but real, okay? So you share these ideas with each other, and you pray for each other, and you go home. That's the plan. Uh, and the idea is we don't, we don't want to make it complicated. We don't think most people really actually need that much instruction or teaching on how to do this. I think most of us kind of have an intuition. We just need a little encouragement to be as persistent as these guys in Luke chapter 5. So that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to just provide a little encouragement so that we can be the kind of church that's taking those little steps to be just a little bit more persistent and trying to put our faith into action. Right? So we can be the kind of church, because we know where the power is, right? That's why we gather every week. We know where the power is. And my bet is that when we get together, we're going to have all these times to remark on how remarkable the things are that God is doing in our midst. That's my bet. All right, let's pray together. Lord, we pray that you would help us uh, to live our whole lives saying thank you to you. And then I just see that as like, oh, when I'm feeling like it, when it's convenient. Lord, but that we would be inconvenienced in our efforts to do good. Uh, that we could love and serve sacrificially and passionately. Uh, Lord, that we could flip the, maybe flip the dynamic from the five to one ratio, maybe to one to five. Um, that we would live with great integrity and love uh, for those around us. Hear our prayers in Jesus' name.